So yes, as Phil said, tonight's reading is on page 770, and that's Jeremiah 11, verses 1 to 17. Starting at verse 1. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Listen to the terms of this covenant and tell them to the people of Judah and to those who live in Jerusalem. Tell them that this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Cursed is the one who does not obey the terms of this covenant, the terms I commanded your ancestors when I brought them out of Egypt, out of the iron-smelting furnace. I said, Obey me, and do everything I command you, and you will be my people, and I will be your God. Then I will fulfill the oath I swore to your ancestors, and give them a land flowing with milk and honey, the land you possess today. I answered, Amen, Lord. The Lord said to me, Proclaim all these words in the towns of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. Listen to the terms of this covenant and follow them. From the time I brought your ancestors up from Egypt until today, I warned them again and again, saying, Obey me. But they did not listen or pay attention. Instead, they followed the stubbornness of their evil hearts. So I brought on them all the curses of the covenant I had commanded them to follow, but that they did not keep. Then the Lord said to me, There is a conspiracy among the people of Judah and those who live in Jerusalem. They have returned to the sins of their ancestors, who refused to listen to my words. They have followed other gods to serve them. Both Israel and Judah have broken the covenant I made with their ancestors. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I will bring on them a disaster they cannot escape. Although they cry out to me, I will not listen to them. The towns of Judah and the people of Jerusalem will go and cry out to the gods to whom they burn incense, but they will not help them at all when disaster strikes. You, Judah, have as many gods as you have towns, and the altars you have set up to burn incense to that shameful god Baal are as many as the streets of Jerusalem. Do not pray for this people or offer any plea or petition for them, because I will not listen when they call me in the time of their distress. What is my beloved doing in my temple, as she, with many others, works out her evil schemes? Can consecrated meat avert your punishment? When you engage in your wickedness, then you rejoice. The Lord called you a thriving olive tree with fruit, beautiful in form. But with the roar of a mighty storm, he will set it on fire and its branches will be broken. The Lord Almighty who planted you has decreed disaster for you because the people of both Israel and Judah have done evil and aroused my anger by burning incense to Baal. Uh, great to see you all. Um, for those of you I haven't met before, my name's Tim, I'm the curate here, and I'd like to add my welcome to Phil's. Um, and welcome as we're going through this incredible book of Jeremiah. Uh, now just to fill us in a little bit of info on, on what we've been looking at the last uh, few weeks in our evening service, uh, Jeremiah is writing uh, some 600 years before Jesus, that's 600 BC, and he's writing to God's people in Israel at uh, a really testing time, uh, a time where there is threat of invasion from God's enemies because many of the people are turning away from the living God in their hearts. They're doing all sorts of, uh, of things that, that shouldn't be happening for God's 
people and there is going to be judgment as a consequence. So it's, it's dark days. Uh, and what we look as we see into chapter 11 is the real heart of the issue, why this is happening, but why there is hope at the end of the tunnel as well. So uh, please do keep uh, Jeremiah chapter 11 open on page 770. And uh, as you were uh, looking through that and as Sarah's reading, um, you might have noticed a word that was popping up time and time again that perhaps you are or, or aren't familiar with, and that was the word of covenant. Uh, we see it right at the beginning there in verse 2. God instructs Jeremiah to listen to the terms of this covenant. And Jeremiah is to be God's prophet, God's spokesman to God's people, to tell the people about this covenant. Now, covenant is one of those um, kind of techie words that you probably don't hear uh, elsewhere except in church, maybe in computer games. I think they have them in Halo or something. But, but covenant in terms of what the Bible is talking about. Um, let me just give you a, a bit of an explanation as to what's going on as we're thinking about covenant. Um, a covenant is, is an agreement. It's, it's a partnership. But it's not just like a sort of uh, any agreement you might make when you take out a deal on a new mobile phone or a mortgage, something like that. Um, a covenant has the idea of, of a relationship at the center of it. In fact, it's the words that we use in the marriage service. We use the words of a covenant between a man and a woman. It is a serious thing, but it's a wonderful thing. It's, it's an agreement. It's, it's a partnership. And throughout the Bible, we find that God goes into covenant with his people. Like, like, a, like a husband and wife going to covenant with each other, God goes into a covenant with his people. And just like a wedding, it is founded on promises. We've been singing about that in our, that last hymn, wonderful, singing about how faithful God is to his promises. And what we're going to see tonight is one of the reasons we can know that, that, that God is faithful is because of his covenant with us. Now we see in, in Jeremiah, um, if we look down uh, in this, at, uh, just at the end of verse 4, um, a little pithy um, line as to what a covenant is. If you go away and you think, oh, that, what was Tim talking about, covenant? I don't really understand it. But, but God spells it out what it is. Covenant is God saying, you will be my people and I will be your God. But it is founded upon God's promises. But there is still a need for us to live up to the covenant. Now, we see all sorts of different covenants in scriptures. Uh, We will get to to what Jeremiah is saying in just a moment. But it's important that we understand how this fits in uh, to the whole story of what God is doing throughout the Bible. We see covenants come a different place. And, And we see really early on in the book of Genesis that God enters into a covenant with his people. And time and time again with all these major figures, people like Noah, people like Abraham and Moses, is God says he establishes his covenant with them. So his promises, everything that he's made all the way back to the first few chapters of Genesis, God will establish this with different people. And and each time God established this with with different people, there's, there's something that we're getting, something that we're seeing about this bigger picture of what a covenant is. And let me just take three really key examples. So God says he establishes his covenant with Abraham. 
Abraham all the way back in Genesis chapter 12 to 15. And God's promise to Abraham is that Abraham's descendants will bless the nations of the earth. That through Abraham, this old man who doesn't have any children at that time, his descendants will fill the earth. There'll be more than the stars in the sky. That's why I walk through the Bible. We do that for Abraham. His descendants will be more than the stars in the sky and his descendants will bless the nation. So there's this promise of a people that God is making when he establishes his covenant with Abraham. Through your offspring, the whole world will be blessed. Then the next person we see is Moses. And the promise made to Moses is that God's people will have a place. God's people in God's place. But this is to happen, as we see in verse 4, after they have been saved out of Egypt. Have a look there. He says, this is the terms I commanded your ancestors, because this was hundreds of years before Jeremiah, when I brought them out of Egypt. So after God's people have been saved, God is promising, I will give you a place to live. God's people in God's place. And then you get another key figure coming in the Bible, King David, a man after God's own heart. And God establishes his covenant with King David that there will be someone of David's line who will rule forever. So the promise there is that God's people will be living in God's place under God's rule. And that one day David's descendant, his great, 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 great grandson will rule forever. So that's a bit of a whistle-stop tour of covenants in the Bible. It's important we understand that when we get to this. But this is God's promise to his people. But it requires obedience. So when we think about some of the problems in, in the book of Jeremiah, as we see at this point in history, God's people disobeying God and turning away from him and his wonderful promises These amazing promises that he wants them to know of of being his people, in his place, knowing his loving rule. And as we look through this, as we think about Jeremiah and the covenant of God in in Jeremiah chapter 11, uh, we're going to ask three questions. We're going to think, what is the problem? What, What is going wrong? What are the consequences to what has gone wrong? And what is the need that we have? So firstly then, what is the problem with what has gone wrong for Jeremiah's people? Well, we see that firstly, it is a failure to obey. It is a failure to obey the terms of the covenant. God has promised that you will be my people, but they are not living up to who they should be. Now, you may think, hang on a moment, this, this, was, this was over two and a half thousand years ago. What has that got to do with us? Well, the reasons that caused the people to disobey in Jeremiah's day are alive and well in us today as well. Which is all the more re- remarkable because of the awesome nature of God's promises. I mean, just, just have a look again down at verses 4 and 5 at these great blessings that are to be found being in a covenant relationship with God This is the terms I commanded your ancestors when I brought them out of Egypt. Out of the iron smelting furnace. It's it's not a great place to be, is it? I said, obey me and do everything I command you and you will be my people and I will be your God. Then I will fulfill the oath I swore to your ancestors. There's the idea of promise. To give them a land flowing with milk and honey. There is God's promise for that land. 
being God's people in his place, knowing his rule. There are great blessings to be found. And it all starts with God's promise that God has sworn to give his people a wonderful land, a place that they might flourish in, a place that they might share the blessings of knowing God with the whole world. But you see, living in God's land needs to be done God's way. We can't just think, oh, this is great. Love living here. Forget about God. can live how I want. Living in God's land has to be done God's way. Which is why at that second bit in verse 4, God says that the people are to obey everything I command. So how they are to treat the weak and the poor in the land has to be how God says it should be. How they treat the widow and the foreigner. How they remember their need for forgiveness and to put God first. To love God with all their heart. To love their neighbor as themselves, as Jesus said. Now this isn't God being picky and and setting these impossible standards that no one's ever going to live up to. But this is how it has to be to live in God's place. To be God's people living in God's place under his rule. The people have to be just. They have to be loving. They have to be holy. They have to represent what God is like to the other nations. God requires them to behave like him. But this isn't just the the promise of a land. Great, you know, like a like a heavenly landlord. Say, great, you can live there. But don't forget, this this is rooted in a relationship with the living God. God is saying, I will be your God. But if we look down, we see that the people aren't doing what they should be doing. They are not listening to God. Look at verse 8. Even though God has told them to obey him, it says, but they did not listen or pay attention Instead, they followed the stubbornness of their evil hearts. So I brought on them all the curses of the covenant I had commanded them to follow, but they did not keep. God's people know what they should be doing, but they are refusing to listen to God. And Jeremiah says, why? It's because of the stubbornness of their evil hearts. This isn't just a them deciding what to do with their life and they don't quite like the options. This is actually a really deep spiritual problem that they are refusing to listen to the God who gives life. It's not that they found it too hard to obey God. It's it's just they didn't want to. Now, of course, there were people still there who were obeying God. But the picture in Jeremiah's day is that the majority of people have just turned away. Have a look at verse 13. We see just how bad the situation has got. God says, you Judah. So this this is the land that they are living in, the land that Jerusalem is in, that the southern kingdom as it was. You Judah have as many gods as you have towns. And the altars you have set up to burn incest to that shameful god Baal are as many as the streets of Jerusalem. Baal was one of the uh, one of the Canaanite uh, sort of other gods that, that the people in the other nations worshipped. And there were all sorts of horrible sacrifices and rituals. And, and some of the, the other rituals that we saw last week even involved child sacrifice. It was a, a really detestable thing to God. 
But God's people are breaking the most fundamental part of the covenant. They are rejecting that promise, that exclusivity to God, that God will be number one. He will be the only God in their life. But the people, because of their stubborn hearts, have rejected God and chose to go after other gods, gods that they would prefer to worship despite everything that God has done for them. Sounds a bit familiar. You see, God hates it. Because these other gods don't give life, actually they demand and demand and just take life and take us out of knowing God's goodness and those promises. God hates it. Elsewhere we see in the Old Testament God describing himself as a husband to his people. And the word that he uses for when they go off after other gods is, well, it's adultery. You have chosen other husbands. You have rejected me. It's unfaithfulness and it's most damaging and harmful. So we just see how serious the problem is of rejecting God and his promises. He wants this people to know what it's like to be his people, to know what it's like to live in his place and to know his loving rule. But they have failed to obey their side of the covenant. Well, what are the consequences for, for doing this? They're really serious, aren't they? That the people Jeremiah uh, writes about here and that God says are cursed as a consequence. The people have rejected God's covenant. These promises of being God's people in God's place under his rule that has consequences. And we see that in verse three. God says, tell them that this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Cursed is the one who does not obey the terms of this covenant. That is, if you reject these blessings, you're going to have the opposite. You're going to have curses. We go all the way back to to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Again, Deuteronomy, the the fifth book in the Bible. We've been thinking about in our walk through the Bible. Um, And when God repeats these promises to his people, he also warns what it looks like if you turn away, if you reject those promises, if you say, thank you, God, but no thank you. He says the consequences are serious. He says this in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 17. But if your hearts turn away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. It means choosing death over life. Choosing curse over blessing. And the situation gets worse. You notice how just now we saw that the people weren't listening to God. Well then in return, God says, well, I'm going to stop listening to you. Even when you cry out for me. Look in verse 11 and 12. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I will bring on them a disaster they cannot escape. Although they cry out to me, I will not listen to them. The towns of Judah and the people of Jerusalem will go out and and cry out to the gods to whom they burn incense. They think they will help them. But they will not help them at all when disaster strikes. They cannot. Again, there's that lack of exclusivity to God. And the consequences that God won't hear them, even when they are crying out to him. Because we see here that they are treating God just like 
one of any other gods. He's just one possible option. I'll try and call out to him, but actually if that doesn't work, I'll try calling out to Baal or try calling out to Melech or, or any of these other gods. Actually, God is the only one who can answer prayer. But because they are treating him just like one of any other gods, he will not answer them. Their hearts, as we saw, are stubborn. And actually, we're the same, aren't we? This is part of what the bridge between Jeremiah's day and and what we see today, that, that actually it's so easy to treat God just like another option. When things get really bad, okay, right, I think I'll, I'll turn to God. Or, or maybe then I will pray or start coming along to church. But God doesn't want us to treat him like just an option. He is God. There is none other like him. We've got to listen to what he says. That he will not answer those who need him when judgment comes and disaster strikes. And it would happen in Jeremiah's day. This destruction that we see, we look down in verse 16. And God, God paints a picture of what is going to happen to the people who have rejected his promises. The Lord called you a thriving olive tree. He's talking about God's people. With fruit beautiful in form. This is what they were to be. But with the roar of a mighty storm, he will set it on fire. And his branches will be broken. It's, it's a sad picture, isn't it? Something with potential. Something that should be beautiful and a blessing. God will judge and destroy. It is no longer fit for purpose. God had made, God, God had chosen his people and promised to them all of these blessings of, of knowing his goodness. So that they might grow into something beautiful. Something like his promise to Abraham. That there would be a people who would bless the nations and be a blessing to the whole world. But they, like we have, have rejected God. And because of that, he says, well, he will reject them. The consequences for for going against God's covenant and his promise are so serious. It is death, not life. It is curse, not blessing. But all of this points us to the need for something better points us to the need for a new kind of covenant because we have stubborn hearts too and that means that we don't want to obey God's will we need something not just to tell us to change our behavior but to change us from the inside out and this is what Jeremiah is pointing to and that that we will see when we get into chapters 30 and 31. So we're not there yet. But this need for a new covenant. The need for a new covenant. Um, This all seems rather down and depressing. But it's here for a reason. What it's saying is important for us to understand. Because if we want to know God's blessing of, of knowing God, of being his people in his place knowing his loving rule, where it requires us to obey his covenant requirements, just like it did in Jeremiah's day. But we don't, because our hearts don't love him like they should. We've all turned away, as Isaiah says, each of us to his own way. Like sheep, we've, we've scattered and left the shepherd. So what will God do? Will God just forget about those promises he'd made to, to Abraham, to Moses, and to David? That God's people 
can be in his place knowing his loving rule. You see, God has a desire for a people, for us to be his people in his place under his rule. And we see that in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31, which we just comes on page 794. Where Jeremiah says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. You see, God promised to Jeremiah a coming day of a new covenant, something that was greater, where we wouldn't have to be taught to obey God, but actually God was going to come into our hearts and write what it means to know God on our hearts. You see, that old covenant that the people failed to obey showed their need for something greater than just commands. They needed new hearts if they were ever to obey God. And that is what that new covenant will achieve. Not just commands, but a new heart. But how is this going to happen? Well, we fast forward 600 years from Jeremiah's time. And we see in Jesus Christ, the perfect covenant keeper. Someone about whom no one could say that he did not fulfill and obey God's covenant. He loves God perfectly. He loves others perfectly. But look look how he's treated. He's treated like someone who is cursed. Jeremiah tells us that to disobey God's covenant is to be cursed to be separated from his blessings, to lose the privilege of being his child, of living in his place and knowing his kind rule. But what happens to Jesus, the perfect covenant keeper? He was cursed for us. We see in chapter 11, verse 14, how God says that he will not listen to the cries and the prayers of his people when they cry out to him in distress. God won't listen to the prayers and cries of the disobedient. But at the cross, when Jesus is making this new covenant, at this time of Jesus' time of incredible distress, distress like none of us will ever know, God chose not to listen to the anguished prayers of his only child. So that he can listen to us. So that we do not face the curse of failing to live up to his covenant promises and to our part of the deal. The new covenant does what the old could never do. It gives us forgiveness. It gives us a new heart, a new hope. Gives us the Holy Spirit to dwell inside of us and to write God's law on our hearts. You see, Jesus Christ, he is our perfect sacrifice. 
and the perfect covenant keeper facing the curse of death for our disobedience so that disobedient people like you and like me can now be God's people in his kingdom knowing his loving rule. So we see the consequences of failing to live up to those covenant promises in Jeremiah's day, but the whole time God had in mind this new covenant. This new covenant made up of, of, of Jews and Gentiles. One people, knowing God's blessing, living in, in God's place, and one day when we will be in that new creation, think about our friend Betty, who is now there in his new creation, enjoying life in all its fullness, knowing his loving, kind rule because of his commitment to us and his new covenant promises. So we bear that in mind as we keep on going through Jeremiah over coming weeks and we see the difficulty. Remember the whole time there is a new covenant coming in Jesus that we enjoy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we confess our inability and our stubborn hearts to keep those things that you command us to do, to love you and to love others perfectly. We, we, we don't do it. We choose disobedience instead. We are just like the people of Jeremiah's day. But Lord, we thank you that you had this plan for a new covenant, a new covenant made in Jesus' blood. And thank you that because of that we can have security. That it's no longer about our ability and our record, but it's all about what he has done. He was cursed so that we might be blessed. He experienced death so that we might have life in all its fullness. Help us to live that out, Lord. Help us if we are struggling with, with assurance, whether we're saved or not, to, to know that through this new covenant you have done everything necessary to make us your people in your place, knowing your rule. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.